book of Galatians today. And so maybe let me just take a moment and talk about where we're going, uh, at least in a preaching sense for the next couple of months, and uh, give you a frame for that. Uh, We'll finish Galatians uh, today. Uh, Obviously, I was just shocked. I was sitting there doing worship. I'm like, man, Christmas is in two weeks. I keep feeling like we haven't had Thanksgiving yet. Uh, three weeks from today, it's going to be another year. Uh, and so it's Mike, time to get with the program. Um, but Christmas, uh, we'll spend a couple of weeks doing some things with Christmas, first part of the new year. Uh, on the banner that normally sits where these set of trees are over here, uh, kind of tucked away in the corner right now, uh, is our core values, worship, discipleship, and mission. We're going to spend uh, a week dealing with each of those. I'm really, really excited about that series and uh, all that that entails. And I think some of the ways that uh, God really wants to push us forward in some of that. Uh, Also in the spring, we're going to do two short series in two Old Testament books, uh, the book of Esther and the book of Habakkuk, and then wedged right in between those. uh, We'll do another round of what does the Bible uh, say about that. And if you've been with us uh, for a few years, you were there uh, a couple years ago and we went through that series. And so as we get into the new year, we'll actually solicit some input from you guys of certain things that uh, might be helpful for you or that you would want to know about with respect to that. But uh, let's not get ahead of ourselves. Let's uh, focus in Galatians 6 is where we're at this morning. In fact, I want to draw your attention um, to the end of chapter 5, starting in verse 25. And Pastor Randy was preaching on this last week, but uh, uh, Galatians 5.25 says this. It says, if we live by the Spirit, let us also walk by the Spirit. And last week we, we talked a little bit. We saw some of this idea of, of the fruit of the Spirit and walking by the Spirit and, and kind of a broader uh, sense of that and, and certainly understanding that's a good thing. It's something we want. It's something that we should uh, desire. But what exactly does this look like? What does it look like in our life to walk uh, in the spirit? How does that show up on a Tuesday afternoon? How does that intersect with my marriage or my kids or my coworkers or um, my my son's baseball team or whatever it is? How does, what does that look like? And that's really what Paul begins to unpack in Galatians chapter six. It's not just this big, broad, okay, that's kind of a generic, a good thing. Uh, But now he's going to put rubber to the road. This is very nuts and bolts. There's almost a grittiness um, to Galatians 6 of just the very um, tangible ways in which you and I can be walking in the Spirit. And so I think where God's Word is going to move us this morning is to this uh, uh, undeniable truth here. It's this, that to walk in the Spirit, listen, loved ones, to walk in the Spirit will both inform and change how we relate to God and how we relate to others. To walk in the Spirit, it's going to inform uh, how it is that that we relate to other people. It's going to inform how I relate to God. And it's going to change uh, how I relate to others and how I relate to God. There's the the vertical component of of my relationship between myself and God. And then there's the horizontal component between myself and others. I'll just tell you here at the outset that we will spend the vast majority of our time dealing with this horizontal component of, of, of living uh, with one another and, and the ways in which walking in the Spirit intersects with how we engage and think of uh, and treat those around us. And part of that is just the, the majority of the text. And then part of that is the reality that so much of the book of Galatians has been more fixated on the vertical component. And so because of that, we'll spend the bulk of our time uh, in verses 1 through 10 looking at this horizontal horizontal um, aspect or element. So let's uh, begin to read God's word. Uh, I'm going to read all of Galatians 6. I would encourage you to follow along uh, as we read this. God's word tells us this. Brothers, if anyone is caught in any transgression, you who are spiritual should restore him in a spirit of gentleness. 
Keep watch on yourself, lest you too be tempted. Bear one another's burdens and so fulfill the law of Christ. This is a really encouraging verse. Verse 3, For if anyone thinks he is something when he is nothing... Isn't that God's gentle way of telling us who we really are? Hey, you're not really anything. Um, And then he goes on, he says, he deceives himself, but let each one test his own work, and then his reason to boast will be in himself alone and not in his neighbor, for each will have to bear his own load. Verse 6, one who is taught the word must share all good things with the one who teaches. Do not be deceived. God is not mocked. For whatever one sows, that will he also reap. For the one who sows to his own flesh will from the flesh reap corruption, but the one who sows to the Spirit will from the Spirit reap eternal life. And let us not grow weary of doing good, for in due season we will reap if we do not give up. So then, as we have opportunity, let us do good to everyone, and especially to those who are of the household of faith. And then starting in verse 11, Paul, really his conclusion for the whole letter, a lot of this touching on items that he's engaged over the course of uh, the, this book to uh, the Galatians. He says this, See with what large letters I'm writing to you with my own hand. It is those who want to make a good showing in the flesh who would force you to be circumcised and only in order that they may not be persecuted for the cross of Christ. For even those who are circumcised do not themselves keep the law, but they desire to have you circumcised, that they may boast in your flesh. But far be it from me to boast except in the cross of our Lord Jesus Christ, by which the world has been crucified to me and I to the world. For neither circumcision counts for anything nor uncircumcision, but a new creation. And as for all who walk by this rule, peace and mercy be upon them and upon the Israel of God. From now on, let no one cause me trouble, for I bear on my body the marks of Jesus. The grace of our Lord Jesus Christ be with your spirit, brothers. Amen. Won't you join me? Let's pray and ask God to have his way with us here before uh, we go any further. Uh, Lord Jesus, we thank you. God, we thank you for this day. God, we thank you for uh, your word. We thank you for the truths that you've put in front of us. And God, I pray, I pray today that you would help us by your grace, um, by your spirit to walk in the spirit that that would be true of us, that that would be um, characteristic of our life, that we would be men and women who walk uh, in your spirit. God, not only for us, as is our custom, we pray for another church here uh, in town. And God, I pray for uh, Pastor Ryan Bestelmeyer and for Hope West. God, I thank you for Ryan. I thank you for his friendship and and the partnership that we get to share in the gospel. And God, I thank you uh, for his love of you. And I pray that as he preaches uh, this morning, even right now as he's preaching, God, that you would hold him up and that you would hold up a Hope West and that would be a church that brings great honor to you in all things. And God, for us, we pray that in these next few moments as we walk through your word, as we see your truth uh, proclaimed to us, would you be lifted high? God, would you make much of yourself? Would you come and speak to us? Would you uh, maybe challenge us in some areas where we need to be challenged? God, maybe there's something that, uh, that we're not seeing rightly and we need you to bring clarity. God, maybe there's an area where we need to be, uh, that there needs to be conviction in our lives, whatever it may be. We pray that you would have your way with us. Uh, so come, Lord Jesus, have your way with us now. We just pray this all in your name, Lord. Amen. 
title of the message is Walking in the Spirit, and really the goal that we're after, right, as we said at the outset, to walk in the Spirit will both inform and change how we relate uh, to God and to others, and as I've already talked about, we're going to spend the vast majority of our time here uh, in verses 1 uh, through 10, and, and it's just going to get real practical, real gritty for us, and, and just press on a number of different uh, aspects and items uh, in our lives. In fact, I see six things in the first 10 verses uh, that Paul is, is, is pushing us on with respect uh, to this idea of how we relate to one another and how that uh, impacts or intersects uh, with our life. And so here's the first point, and uh, this is almost a one-point sermon outside of maybe the two or three minutes we'll spend on the back end talking about uh, verses 11 through 18. Uh, But here it is, walking in the Spirit informs and changes how I relate to others. Walking in the Spirit, if if the Spirit of God is going to control my life, if the Spirit of God is going to have its rightful place in me, it is going to inform uh, how I engage with others, and it is going to change uh, how I relate with others and and, and, um, my my relationships and and conversations and and all of those aspects. And so notice in verse 1 and 2, Paul just begins to press this in. He says, brothers... If anyone is caught in any transgression, you who are spiritual should restore him in a spirit of gentleness. Keep watch on yourself, lest you too be tempted. Bear one another's burdens and so fulfill the law of Christ. And so notice the first of these six items that we see about how we relate to others in verses 1 and 2 is this. It's that we would bear one another's burdens. So we would bear one another's burdens. And so, so Paul here, multiple imperatives, multiple commands in these first two verses with respect to this. And, and essentially what he's saying is, if you're going to walk in the Spirit, if that's going to be the reality of your life, then these are things that, that I'm telling you to do. And so in one sense, it's a command. In another sense, it becomes a form of accountability where we go, is this true of me? Is this reflected in my life? And in verses 1 and 2, with respect to bearing one another's burdens, there's multiple commands tied to that. The first is this. He says, if anyone is caught in any transgression, you who are spiritual should restore him in a spirit of gentleness. And part of bearing one another's burdens is restoring those who are caught in sin. The, the ability to identify, man, I see someone who's struggling. And don't let that phrase, you who are spiritual... That's not a cop-out for like, well, I don't really feel spiritual, so I'm off the hook. Or I don't know enough about this particular uh, theological doctrine, so I guess I don't have to help. It's true of all believers. So don't look at that and be like, well, I don't know if I'm disqualified or not. You're not. Okay? Uh, And part of walking in the Spirit is that we restore those uh, who are caught in sin. And the emphasis here is restoration. It's not exposure of sin. Some people have the gift of prophecy, right? And um, I think that's a legitimate gift, but more often than not, the way we see that play out, it's not legitimate, but really it's, it's this veiled uh, way in which I just get to tell you all the ways that you're wrong, okay? And, and so the point that Paul is emphasizing here is not exposure. Now, there's a time and a place for that. In fact, he says that in Ephesians 5, have, take no part in the unfruitful works of darkness, but instead expose them. It's not about exposure. It's not about catching people. It's not about proving why you're right or why they're wrong. His point is restoration. See, this should always be the goal, loved ones, when sin is involved, is that we see people restored. Restored first to God and secondly to one another. In fact, where you see this in other parts of the scripture, you look at um, passages that, with respect to church discipline like Matthew 18 or 1 Corinthians 5, and, and the goal of that is, 
is, is to see people restored. Right? Jesus is talking about you want to gain your brother in Matthew 18. Their soul being spared in 1 Corinthians 5. The point is restoration. That if someone is caught in sin, our hope, our desire, our intent, our purpose, if we are walking in the Spirit, is to see them be restored to God and to others. Now notice Paul qualifies the way in which we should attempt to restore people. Look at what he says. You should restore him in a spirit of gentleness. This is the mode or the means by which restoration comes. I think when it comes to sin, especially if you're the one that's been sinned against, uh, sometimes it can be really hard to be gentle with others. It can be incredibly hard to be gentle when restoration isn't ultimately the goal. If you're more concerned about retribution, if you're more concerned about getting your way, if you're more concerned about, about leveling the playing field of, of, of righting this wrong, gentleness will not be the mode or the means by which you seek to restore someone. You feel me? You tracking with me on this? That's not going to be how we treat one another. And yet that's what Paul is saying. That you restore him in a spirit of gentleness. And so you might ask yourself if, if God is calling you to restore or to participate in the restoration of, of, of someone or something in their life. If I can't be gentle in that, why is that? And what in me needs to be reevaluated? What in me needs to be reconsidered? Maybe that you need to examine yourself. Maybe there's something that you need to repent of. And then you go seek to restore that individual. Right? Part of bearing one another's burdens is that there's a restoration of those caught in sin. Look at the end of verse 1. Here we see a second piece of bearing one another's burdens. This warning that Paul gives. Keep watch on yourself, lest you too be tempted. Part of bearing one another's burdens is we keep a watch on ourselves. Now, Paul's going to, verses 3, 4, and 5, he gets very, very pointed with respect to ourself, and we'll get to that here in a moment. Here's the one thing I do want to press, is you are not above temptation. You are not above falling. You are not above failure. And so in those times, in those seasons where God calls you to that, do not delude yourself into thinking... This won't be an issue for me. I won't struggle with this. I won't fail in this. This isn't my issue. At that point in time, you are now ripe for failure. The moment you think you're beyond it, above it, or better than it is the moment that you now become susceptible to it. Keep a watch on yourself. You're not above temptation. And then he says this in verse 2. Bear one another's burdens what we've been talking about, right? This is his point, to bear one another's burdens and so fulfill the law of Christ. And notice what he does there, right? He connects the idea of bearing one another's burdens with fulfilling the law of Christ. This is what he was talking about in in, in, uh, 514 when he said, for the whole law is fulfilled in one word, you shall love your neighbor as yourself. Part of bearing one another's burdens is, is, is we're going to love people in the same way that we love ourselves. That's part of fulfilling the law of Christ. That Jesus, that's the very thing that he's done for you and I. He has loved you and I in a way that, that we would love ourselves. That he has he's bore our burdens upon himself. That's what First Peter tells us. He bore our sins that we might die to sin and, to, and live to righteousness. 
And so in the same way that Jesus has borne our sins, that we would mimic our God in attempting to bear the burdens of one another. Easy to say. Easy to say. Uh, Not so easy to do. This is usually a pretty good marker, pretty good indication that that the Spirit is active inside of me. Because I, I, I mean, I'll just be honest. I don't know very many people that are like, man, I'd love to make your issues, your struggles, and your problems my own. I just don't know very many people be like, oh, that sounds great. I'd love that. I'll just set mine down. Just carry yours. See, that, that's, not, that's not us. It's not who we are. That's, that's, that's not our propensity. That's not our tendency, right, to bear one another's burdens. Now, the word bear literally means to carry it's, it's the idea that I'm going to shoulder the load. Not remove the load, not take it all on our own, but I'm going to shoulder the load. He's saying bear one another's burdens. Here, let me try to illustrate this here for a minute. I need one volunteer. Someone come up. Come on. You, you just have to stand there and look pretty. Give me one person. Thank you, Stefan. You can just stand there. You don't have to look pretty. Okay. So, so I, I thought about if I was you, I would have brought something much heavier. I just thought about someone else coming up there and having to bear some huge load. Now, just imagine, just imagine this is a, a really heavy beam, right? And, and, and almost to the point that it began to be a little bit crushing and it was hard uh, to hold. Now, now, sometimes, sometimes when it comes to bearing one another's burden, sometimes our thought is, that looks heavy. I'll pray for you, right? And then half the time, we won't even pray for that person, will we? Don't ever tell someone you're going to pray for them if you have no intent of praying for them. Don't lie. Further, if, if you say that, make sure you do that. I would encourage you right there in the moment, pray for them. So sometimes we think of bearing one another's burdens like, well, it's, I don't want to get too close. Or sometimes it's like this. Let me help you with that. Right? There you go. You're welcome. Right? Not much help going on. Sometimes the mistake we make is here. Let me, let me, let me get this. Let me, let me, okay, there you go. Okay, I got it. It's not taking it away, okay? Here's what it is to bear one another's burdens. It's, let me come alongside and shoulder it with you, right? It's the idea, I'm gonna carry with you. I'm not gonna carry more than you're gonna carry. I'm not gonna carry less than you're gonna carry, but we're gonna go shoulder to shoulder and we're gonna bear this with one another. Thank you. And you were so pretty, by the way. That was incredible, <laughs> right? But it's this idea of we're gonna come alongside and, and, and here's the deal, if that was heavy, I would have felt it too, right? That's part of bearing one another's burdens is there's a weight to this. This is what we do for others when we walk in the spirit. So we bear one another's burdens. There's a spiritual component to this. Maybe part of that is that we hold one another accountable. Maybe there's counsel, um, prayer, uh, things of that nature that's tied to that. Uh, There's a physical component to this. Maybe I'm helping someone do things that they can't do on their own. Maybe there's certain um, jobs that that there's physical limitations for some people that others aren't limited in and you come alongside and you serve them. Maybe there's certain resources that are needed. Maybe there's, maybe sometimes it's financial. There's all kinds of different ways. But if we're going to walk in the spirit, one of the things that Paul's telling us is that we're going to bear one another's burdens. Notice the secondly, look at verses three, four, and five. It's going to get real pointed in terms of ourselves here for a minute. Paul says this. He says, For if anyone thinks he is something when he is nothing, he deceives himself. 
And then verse 4 and 5, at least at initial glance, seem to be completely contradictory to verses 1 and 2. Look at what he says. But let each one test his own work, and then his reason to boast will be in himself alone and not in his neighbor, for each will have to bear his own load. And you're like, what is going on here? You were just telling me to bear one another's burdens, and now you're telling me a couple verses later, I'm supposed to bear my own load. Like, what's happening here? What, 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 are, you, what are you doing? You're going back on what you just said. I think what Paul is really doing is he's, He's pointing us to an honest assessment of ourself, right? Part of walking in the spirit is there's an honest assessment of ourself. Two things specifically that show up in verses three through five with this. Notice verse three, just wrote this down. And keep in mind, this is in the context of community. This is in the context of sharing with one another. But, but there's this, the necessity of humility. Part of an honest assessment of self is the necessity of humility in our lives. If anyone thinks he's something when he's nothing, he deceives himself. Part of life in the spirit is recognizing who I am. And the best way to identify who you are is to understand, first of all, who God is and who you are in light of who God is. And so we must first see God right. We have to see God as he truly is, as as powerful and and all-knowing and sovereign and in complete control and as the ruler and the maker of all things to which I can honestly say of myself that that's not the case. That's not who any of us are. And further, when we start talking about who we really are, we're not sufficient. We're not independent. We're not all-knowing. We're quite flawed. We're broken. We're needy. We're dependent. We go on and on, but I think you get the point. But it's the necessity of humility, this honest assessment of ourselves. Who am I and who is God? And sometimes what, what we've done in our hyper-individualized, um, hyper-personalized spirituality of our day is, is we divorce our personal relationship from Jesus and the community and the context of community it's meant to exist in. And so I can look at myself, or you can look at yourself and be like, well, hey, you know, I'm, I'm getting good devotional time, I'm, I'm praying, I'm reading the scriptures, I'm sharing my faith, I, I, I'm walking in righteousness, I'm killing it. But you can be completely isolated from community. You can be completely isolated from all others. And, and so you're just doing your own thing. And, and so what happens in that is like, man, I'm doing a great job, but, but I'm not living life with anyone else. And what begins to creep in in those times is pride. I think I'm something when in reality I'm nothing. And part of the, the nothingness in that is I, I'm not living in community. I'm not walking alongside one another. I'm not shouldering and bearing burdens with others. I'm just doing my own thing. And there's this spiritual pride that begins to well up inside of us. So many issues with that, right? Pride, pride invites comparison and competition. I want to prove my, why my kids are better than yours. I want to prove why I, I, I'm smarter than you. I want to prove, you know, I, I, I want to be the guy that God uses. I want to be the one that's recognized. I want to have all the credit. Because I've, I'm deluded about who I actually am. I've got, I've got a wrong concept of who I am. But when I recognize who God is and who I am in light of that, I... I'm very comfortable with who I am. And more importantly, who I'm not. I think most people are comfortable with who they are. It's who they aren't that we really struggle with. And the things that we're not good at or the things that we can't do is where so many of our insecurities well up inside of us. I'm not worried about 
whether or not I'm noticed or recognized. I'm not concerned about what, what I can get, but more importantly, what I can give in the midst of those things. Right? This honest assessment of self, the necessity of humility, recognizing I love you. You're not something. That's what he's saying. If anyone thinks he's something when he's nothing. I think one of the most embarrassing social situations to be in is when someone has just this flawed view of themselves. You know what I'm saying? Where they think they're greater than everyone else in the room thinks they are. That's embarrassing. And, and I'm, I've been on both sides of that. Okay, just, I can be honest, I've been on both sides of that. I've been the person in the room thinking that. I've been the person in the room watching the train wreck unfold. No matter what, it's embarrassing. This, this honest assessment of who we are, this necessity of humility. And then notice, notice verse, uh, verses 4 and 5. We see the reality of personal responsibility. Part of our honest assessment of self is tied to this idea of personal responsibility. And again, in the context of community, uh, right, that, that, that's playing out of this, but you and I are responsible for our individual actions. You have to take responsibility for who you are and for what you do. And yet I think, if I could just be so honest and, and just unflinchingly honest about this, we're bad at this. In our society, we're just bad about owning our own responsibility. Let me give you an example. This plays out in my house. I know it's played out in any household that has more than one child in it, right? Something happens, there's a fight, and as a parent, you show up, and what happens? What do kids start doing? Right? You, you all did it, right? They start pointing their fingers. He made me do it. She made me do it. It's their fault. She made you go downstairs and eat four cookies? I'm not buying that, right? You know, but it's like, it's all, they made me do it. And, and where does that originate from? It's the garden. It's Adam and Eve. I mean, they're taking their cues from, from the very beginning. We want to point our fingers at others, right? It always tends to be someone else's fault. It's my parents' fault. It's my boss's fault. It's my spouse's fault. It's my kid's fault. could go on and on and on with this. Paul Tripp in one of his books on marriage. It's one of my favorite quotes uh, with respect to marriage. Here's what he says. Listen very carefully. You are the problem in your marriage. I don't like that. Well, he doesn't really understand. No, no. Listen, you're the problem in your marriage. It's your fault with you and your boss. It's your fault. Now, now I understand the, 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 the ways that this could get pushed or manipulated. And, and certainly when you get into abusive relationships, that's problematic. Here's what I want you to see in this. Paul Tripp's point is that, that he's pressing is that you and I would own our sinfulness, that we would be responsible. I do plenty of marriage counseling and inevitably what I tend to hear is, uh, you know, husband comes in and I hear all about the wife or wife comes in and I hear all about the husband. And I'm always like, what are you doing? Because part of what I want them to do is I want them to own their peace and their part. I'm not saying that their spouse is perfect and that they're delusional. But I also know that they're not perfect. And if they think that they are delusional. Right? This reality that we have a personal responsibility. 
That when we think of ourselves as something, when, when in actuality that's not who we really are. I love you. You're broken. I love you. You have issues. I love you. And you're flawed. I love you. You're average. Part of it's like, I hate this. This is the worst sermon ever. <laughs> it's true. We're average. We're broken. We're flawed. We have issues. And until we're re- willing to own our own shortcomings and our personal responsibility, we're going to fight against that all day. But the point at which we begin to go, you know what? It's true. I, 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 each will have to bear his own load. I'm responsible for myself. And I thank God that I'm only responsible for myself. I'm not responsible for my wife. I'm not responsible for my kids. I'm not responsible for you. I, I'm responsible for myself. In the same way that you're responsible for yourself. But you've got to own your shortcomings. In the same way that I've got to own my shortcomings. This personal responsibility. Always love when I get to tell you that you're average. That's fun for me to say. I'm just kidding. All right, number three. Here we go. Uh, Verse six. One who is taught the word must share all good things with the one who teaches. Let me just read that again here. I didn't write this. God wrote it. Just so you don't think that this gets really self-serving really quickly. Uh, The one who is taught the word must share all good things with the one who teaches. Part of living in the spirit is that we give generously to teachers. I mean, that's what he's saying right there, isn't it? And, and some of you might be thinking, this guy just told me that I'm average and now I'm supposed to give him things? He's off his rocker. A l- little bit, but it's right there in the text. And I, I could see, I could see the tendency of how easily it would be to look at this and be like, well, this, this is really convenient for you. That's really uh, maybe even self-serving for you, Mike, that you could say that, but I didn't write the book of Galatians, God did. And see, the beauty is when you open up the scriptures and you just preach what's in the scriptures, when you come to verses like this, it's like, well, hey, we're going to treat this like we would any other verse in the Bible. It's authoritative and it's from God. Right? Part of walking in the spirit is giving generously to teachers. Now, I'm not the only teacher here. So it's pretty easy to talk about this. I'm not just talking about myself. A couple things that we might want to press on this here uh, for a moment. Notice um, that, that certainly in one sense, part of this is, is a financial piece. Sometimes people are like, why would I give to the church? Well, it's part of it. Part of giving is tied to this. It's sharing all good things. But this is not exclusively uh, some financial piece. In fact, Paul, when he writes to Timothy in 1 Timothy, uh, says this in 1 Timothy 5. He says, let the elders who rule well be considered worthy of double honor, especially those who labor in preaching and teaching. And again, part of that is like, man, you have to make provision for them. But another part of that is tied to this idea of honor. Honor for teachers. Let's talk about that for a minute. What does it mean to honor teachers? I wrote down uh, just a few things with respect to this. Part of giving generously to teachers isn't just a financial piece. There's this aspect of honor. Um, Part of that is this, how you speak to them and about them. When you think about people who preach and teach, you think about people, whether it be um, in the pulpit, whether it be your life group, whether it be um, a workshop, like whatever it is. Okay, all of this applies. How is it that I, how do I speak to them and how do I um, speak about them? More the idea when they're not present. 
I'll be the first to tell you that I'm far from infallible. Um, not only in, in who I am as a person, but even in my teaching. I know, I know there are times where I get it wrong. Not because I want to, not because I haven't done the work, but because I'm flawed. And so I'm not, I'm not advocating that you would ever teach a teacher as higher than yourself, but that you would also, I am also advocating that you would never look at them or think of them as lower than yourself. You can't know the weight. You can't know the burden. You can't know how crushing it is to be responsible for the proclamation of God's word until you've been in that position. I mean, I could preach for weeks about that. But I'll just say that I would, I would be quick to reserve judgment until you've been in that place. And so part of honor, how do we speak to them? How do we speak about them? Secondly, how do you think about them? Here's what I mean by that in short. Do you, do you assume the best or do you assume the worst? And if you're not sure of things, are you willing to ask questions or are you just going to run with what you think it is? Thirdly, how do you respond to their teaching? Now let me, I'll just be really honest here um, in terms of this. I get when people will come up and they'll go, hey, that was a nice sermon, good sermon. I, I appreciate the intent of what they're after. As a teacher, it doesn't mean anything. And I don't mean it, the gesture doesn't mean anything. What, what I mean in that is, that could mean a hundred things. It's vague. You're a good person. What does that mean? It's like any compliment, any input, any counsel, whatever it is, the more specific it is, the better it is. Whatever, whoever the teacher is, when you give them input or counsel, be specific. This was helpful. This was challenging. God worked in this way. God uh, spoke to me in that. I recognize I have to deal with this. Personally, I really don't care what you think about me, but I am curious to know what God is doing in your life. The most meaningful input I ever get is when someone says, man, God is doing this in me. That means a lot. I can't speak for the other guys uh, and the other teachers. I'm just telling you about me. But that's part of what Paul's talking about. One who has taught the word must share all good things with the one who teaches. Part of walking in the spirit are those who give generously to teachers. Notice this fourthly. Look at verse 7 and 8. Part of walking in the spirit understands the sowing and reaping principle. Do not be deceived. God is not mocked. We don't, we don't play games with God. We don't pull anything over on God. We're not going to trick God. No, no, nothing's hidden from him. And then Paul says this, For whatever one sows, that will he also reap. For the one who sows to his own flesh will from the flesh reap corruption, but the one who sows to the Spirit will from the Spirit reap eternal life. It's understanding the sowing and reaping principle. God has built this principle into life, like everywhere. I mean, we see this all throughout life, that what you sow will be the thing that you reap. You think about the, the, the most natural place for this principle. You think of, of agriculture or farming. You put a, a corn seed in the ground in the spring. What do you think is going to grow? Corn, right? Like you're not going to get to the fall and be like, I can't wait to go pick peaches. Like, because peaches aren't going to be on that thing. And you're not going to find pears, you're not going to find apples, you're not going to find squash or beans. You're going to find corn or you will find nothing, depending on what you've done between when you put the seed in the ground till that point. 
right? You, you will reap what you sow. Think about this in terms of finances. If you spend more than you make, if you do that consistently, uh, if you uh, are buried in debt and you never save, you're not going to magically wake up one morning and go, we're loaded. Right? It doesn't work like that. Just, th- th- there's no silver bullet in that. Right? The inverse of that is true as well. If you spend less than you make and if you save uh, and, and whatnot, then all of a sudden you're going to wake up one morning and go, hey, we actually have something. Think about this in terms of nutrition. If, if you hork down nothing but Twinkies and donuts and brownies for weeks on end, if you never ate a vegetable, much less even looked at one, uh, despise the gym, will f- refuse to work out, uh, I'm not going to touch anything that requires any exertion of energy whatsoever, and did that for weeks or months, you're not rolling up to the beach with a six-pack. It's not happening. Right? There's a principle in this. What you um, sow is what you will reap. What I put in here is what's going to come out over here. Now, here's what you have to understand. This is true spiritually as well. That's what he's saying. We see this principle everywhere in our life. And it's no different with respect to our spirituality. For if one sows to his own flesh, will from the flesh reap corruption. And there's very much a final judgment component that's playing out there. But the one who sows to the Spirit will from the Spirit reap eternal life. It's like it's one or the other. You can't sow to the flesh. You, you can't invest yourself in what you want. You can't live life in a way that's like, I'm about what I want constantly. But hey, in the end, God's going to be totally for me. I had an uncle who for a couple of years lived like that. He, in fact, his plan was, some of you have heard me share this before, but this was when he was much younger. His plan was, right before I die, I'm going to get saved. And, and then, uh, you know, that way I can do whatever I want for as long as I want. And then right before I die, I'm going to get saved. Which maybe, I mean, the, not a lot of coherent thought going on in that, but maybe at some level it's like that sounds pretty good. And so one particular day, I don't know the specifics of the story, he's on his motorcycle on a highway, uh, and, and suffice to say he came up over this ridge, hundreds of sheep in the road, no way they're getting out of the way. And, and you know, the mo- in his moment, it's do I lay my bike down, do I try to go through, whatever. And miraculously, miraculously, he lived through it. And so he's telling my mom afterwards about the story and it dawns on him as he's recounting the story. I forgot to get saved. (laughs) Which was a jarring moment in his life and realizing, yeah, maybe that's not going to work. And that's how some people live spiritually. That's, you're so into your flesh. Man, death comes like that. You don't know. We had a funeral in here on Wednesday. I know a number of other people in this body who in the last week or two have some, have had, has had someone die. Some of them just shockingly sudden. In fact, we're in that church is on our way to Texas right now to bury a cousin. 34 years old. Went into the hospital Saturday thinking he had a staph infection was dead Monday morning. Like that. You sow to the flesh, you will from the, fl- fl- from the flesh reap corruption. And to the spirit, you will reap eternal life. Here's my question for you. What are you sowing in your life today? Listen, loved one, what are you sowing in your life today that you will reap tomorrow? 
What are you sowing in your life right now today? What are you investing in? What are you tilling the soil in? What, you, what, what is it that you're putting all of your eggs into today that you're going to reap tomorrow? And are you excited about that harvest or is it a little bit concerning to you? Understand the sowing and reaping principle. For, uh, fifth, look at verse 9. Part of walking in the spirit, he says this, verse 9, and let us not grow weary of doing good, for in due season we will reap if we do not give up. Part of walking in the spirit does not grow weary in doing good. Not going to grow weary in doing good. You ever, got, you ever got tired of doing the right thing? You ever been a point where it's like, what, what's the point in this? You just keep doing good. You keep doing good. Keep doing good. And it doesn't seem like anything's happening. Anything's changing. Nothing's working. I, I mean, I've been there. I looked at this verse and at first glance, I was like, I kind of hate this verse. <laughs> and yet, the more I looked at it this week, the more I found it to be a great, a great source of encouragement, both in the honesty and also the reality that doing good just takes time. Right? In the same way you don't put a seed in the ground in April, and then it's bearing fruit the next day, right? It's months later before the fruit is bore out of that, that we would not grow weary in doing good, that, that there's this sense of, of, of perseverance and persisting. And, and what I think Paul is saying is like, guys, guys, don't stop because if, if you hold on, if you'll just keep pressing forward, if you'll, if you'll keep pushing, you're going to get to the point of, of harvest and it's going to be worth it. And you're going to be so thankful that you held on. You're going to be so grateful that you didn't stop, but that you kept, uh, kept tilling the soil and kept working, and now there's this rich harvest. I would say to you here this morning, don't grow weary. Keep sharing the gospel. Don't grow weary. Keep praying for that loved one who's far from God. Don't grow weary. Um, keep praying for others who are suffering or struggling or in the midst of, uh, of great difficulty. Don't grow weary. Keep uh, pursuing and seeking justice for the marginalized. Don't grow weary. Keep, keep uh, asking God for help to overcome sin in your life. Don't grow weary. Keep serving those in need. Right? We go on and on with that. Don't grow weary in that. Keep going. Keep going. And then verse 10, he says this. So, so then as we have opportunity, let us do good to everyone and especially to those who are the household of faith. Walking in the spirit does good to everyone. Now, actually, I, I should tell you that, that, you know, I'm quite thankful that in the Greek, that word everyone uh, actually only means to the people you like, not, okay? It means everyone. And the only qualifier that he gives here is if there's ever a time where we would discriminate, it would be between those of the household of faith, faith and outside the household of faith. So it's like, I have the ability to help one person. Okay, I'm going to help a brother and sister in Christ. But of course, the implication of that is the requirement is that God expects that I would do good to everyone. Everyone. Am I willing to do good to everyone? I mean, think about that. What, what about the people you don't like? Don't say their name out loud, please. I want you to think of someone you just simply do not like. I hope it's not the person sitting next to you, okay? But you think about that. Now, now think about this verse. As we have opportunity, let us do good to everyone. Would you be willing to do good to that person? Second of all, when's the last time you looked for an opportunity to, to do good for that person? Right? I mean, this is hard. We, we, I wouldn't choose this. 
I would not choose to live this way. I'm guessing you wouldn't choose to live this way either. That's why we're walking in the Spirit. This is what the Spirit does inside of us. Am I willing to do good to everyone, even people I don't like or disagree with, or maybe people who are opposed to me in every sense of the word? Am I willing to do good to them? See, when we walk in the Spirit, it's going to inform and it's going to change how we relate to others. Now, my question is, will we allow the Spirit to do that inside of us? Will I allow the Spirit to change me, to inform me, to instruct me, to guide me so that I actually do live in this way? Walking in the Spirit informs and changes how I relate to others. Briefly, here's the vertical piece. Walking in the Spirit informs and changes how I relate to God. I mean, in one sense, we've seen this throughout the book of Galatians. I mean, over and over and over and over again, Paul has, has, has driven this home to us. <clears throat> Let me just, I want to go to verse 14 briefly and just touch on that and then we're done. Paul says this, but far be it from me to boast except in the cross of our Lord Jesus Christ by which the world has been crucified to me and I, into the world, and I to the world. Walking in the Spirit informs and changes how I relate to God, and part of that is tied to the fact that we would boast in the cross. I would boast in the cross. That's the thing that, that, that grabs me, that grips me. When I'm walking in the Spirit, the thing that I can't stop talking about is the cross, because the cross changes everything. Changes everything. Changes our relationship to God. It changes our standing before God. It changes our eternity with God. It changes who you and I are. In boasting in the cross, we're saying what the Apostle Paul has been saying throughout the book of Galatians, that it's the finished work of Jesus and that alone that changes us and that alone which is our hope. That's the hope that we found is in the cross, which is a stark contrast of boasting in ourself or boasting in the law or boasting in our works or what we're capable of doing or achieving in and of ourselves. We boast in our deliverance and we boast in our redemption, which is tied to the cross. Walking in the Spirit informs and changes how I relate to God. It informs and it changes how I relate to others. Loved ones, let us actually be people who walk in the Spirit. Not just say it, not just pay lip service to it, but actually do it. Let's pray. Jesus, we thank you for your word. God, I think about these things in Galatians 6. Um, got to think about them being hard. <laughs> think about my own just personal response this week to some of these things. I'm like, I don't want to do that. I wouldn't choose that. That would not be my primary uh, response or my default position. And God, I thank you that it's your spirit that enables us to do these things. God, you have no expectation in and of ourselves that we will do this, but you have great expectation that the spirit that lives inside of us will mold and move and change and conform us to your will in a manner and a way in which this becomes characteristic of who we are. And so God, I pray. God, I pray that you would help us to be men and women who walk in the spirit. God, I pray that we'd be men and women who would long to honor you in our lives. That these things, some of these things, maybe we're doing well in these areas. Other of these things, oh, we're struggling in that. God, would you give us the courage to, to face them, to ask you to say, God, would you help us with this? 
and that we would be men and women who are walking in your spirit. Pray this in your name, Lord. Amen.